Open your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. And when you get there, we're going to pray. And I'll share with you, tell you why we're, why we're going there. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that no matter how we feel, the Word of God says that we've been given the victory in Christ Jesus. We've been given the victory over sin. We've been given the victory over death and over the grave. And we've been given the victory over Satan and all of his power of his enemy so that nothing shall in any way harm us. So we don't need to fear. We don't need to be discouraged. Your Spirit, the living God, is inside of us. And we have every reason tonight to be full of hope and confidence and full of victory tonight, not because of how we feel, but because of what you have done. And so we set our eyes tonight, take them off of our feelings, off of the circumstances of our life, and we set our eyes and our faith upon your word and upon your word alone. For it is your word by which we've been saved, and it is your word that will see us through, and it is your word that tells us who you are and who you've made us to be and what you have prepared for us. And so we thank you for this word tonight, and we thank you for the spirit that you've given to us, and we ask you, Father, by the anointing of your spirit, to open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. And for that, we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying over the last number of weeks this subject out of 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that about your parts and talks about your spirit, soul, and body. And the reason we've been getting into those is because they've, each part of you, your spirit, your soul, and your body, have different functions. And we've talked about those functions. We've talked about the different realms that they come from, that your, your body comes from this natural material realm, this realm that we're so used to spend all our time living in and paying attention to and thinking about. And, and just that this is what we really think life is all about. But the Bible tells us there's another realm of existence called the spirit realm, this is far more real than this material realm because this realm is passing away. But the spirit realm is real. It's the realm where God lives. And we saw that when you're born again, and that's what we're going to see more clearly tonight, that God, literally your inner man, your spirit man, the, the real you is of that spirit realm, the realm in which God lives. And your body is of this natural material realm and you'd be given a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's the bridge between the two to connect the two together. And as we were getting into this, I was talking more and more about, teaching more and more out of the notes that I had from a course I've given for a long time in school of ministry called Renewing the Mind. And I borrowed a section of those notes. I will promise to give them back, but I did borrow them. And um, some of you get that on the way home. But I borrowed the section of the notes to use to teach about the difference between the spirit, the soul, and the body. And I just kind of wandered off into this subject of renewing the mind and really last week began to get into it. But I really sensed yesterday in prayer, I really sensed inside of me that God was pulling me back to the original purpose of this study. And so we're going to focus now in on the spirit man, the real you. Because in the times in which we live, it's so important to learn to discern your spirit if you're born again. Because that's the connection you have with God. You literally have the kingdom of God living inside of you tonight. And if that were truly real to you, you could hardly sit still. You, you, you wouldn't know how to frown. 
you wouldn't know how to be discouraged. How can you be discouraged with God living inside of you? And he's on your side. He's not living inside of you to condemn you or punish you. If that's so, he wouldn't have come to live inside of you. He's very choosy where he lives. So if he's come to live inside of you, he's already decided that you're okay. Now, you're not okay in yourself. You're okay because Christ took your sin and gave to you his righteousness. And the reason he gave to you his righteousness is so you could be qualified, so God could come to live in you with his righteousness. So don't, work, don't keep looking at yourself the way, you know, you don't know, I'm just such a failure. Yes! You are! And so am I. That's what qualifies you for Jesus. Romans chapter 3, we've all sinned. It's not shocked that you're a sinner or have sinned. That's what qualified you for his grace. If you were perfect and never blew it, you wouldn't need his grace. And that's where the Pharisees were. They thought they were. And Jesus said, I didn't come. To he you don't send a physician to heal those that are well. You come to send a physician to heal those that are sick. Well, the Pharisees were just as sick spiritually as the people that Jesus ministered to, but they were so proud they didn't admit that they were. So he couldn't help them. So what I, what I really feel the Spirit of God was pulling me back into was, was that the purpose of this study was not to talk about renewing the mind. We may do that. But before we would look at that, to go back to the purpose of this, which is to help you to become more aware of the spirit man that's inside of you, the real you, because that is your connection to God and the kingdom of God. Your connection to God is not with your mind. It's certainly not with your body. God will do sometimes supernatural things where he will connect with you through your mind or your body. But the the method that God has designed for communicating with you, guiding you, preparing you, strengthening you, encouraging you, answering your prayers, comes through his connection with your spirit man. So if you've got inside of you tonight the answer to every need you're ever going to have, the answer to every question that you're ever going to have, the power of God the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11 says, if it dwells in you. So the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you tonight, right now, where you're sitting, waiting for you to believe it and release it. And we sit there because we haven't seen it yet. And so that's why God wants to bring us back to that study because in the times that we're living in and that we're facing, God's method of provision and communication is going to come through your spirit. You've heard me speak on Sunday mornings and I'm probably going to speak about it more. Not necessarily this Sunday, but the Bible is very clear that in the days we live in, many are going to be deceived. Talking about the church. Good people. Not people that are just rebellious and want to go out and do their own thing. Good people are going to be deceived. Why? Because they've not learned how to flow and be sensitive to the spirit in them that will keep them from being deceived. Jesus said there are many that are going to come and say, I'm the Christ. 
And he said, they're going to perform miracles. So if you go by your mind, your, 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 your senses, and you see somebody out there saying he's Christ come back and he's performing miracles, you can easily be deceived if you don't have a witness in here that that's just not him. Because you'll go by your mind. So, well, there's miracles taking place. See, the disciples did. They said, well, Lord, they're out there. They're prophesying your name. They're doing all these great things. Jesus said at one point in Matthew chapter 7, he said, there are going to be many people come to him and say, Lord, I prophesied your name. I did wonderful miracles in your name. He says, I don't even know you. That's so yeah. The Bible says Satan has the power to act as an angel of light. Yes. The prince of darkness can appear as an angel of light. So you can't go by appearances. That's why it's so important to learn to not go by how you feel. It's, we're not talking about whether you're going to get a Cadillac next year or not. I need to learn. learn. No, we're talking about survival. Yes. I'm not talking about whether you're going to go to heaven or not. I'm talking about surviving here. God has given us His Spirit. So I believe the reason he's impressing me to push in that direction is because he's trying to prepare us. Nothing to be afraid of, but we need to heed him and listen to him. That he will prepare you. Jesus told his disciples, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit's going to come in inside of you is so he can show you things to come. The church should not be taken off guard by what happens. We should already have a sense ahead of time of what's going to happen because the one who knows ahead of time has been put inside of you to show you. But when we so spend so much of our life caught up in our flesh, in our mind, and not sensitive to the spirit man inside of us, we don't know when he's trying to talk to us. So that's the purpose of this study. That's why we spent the time locating which part of you is your spirit man. Now I want to go back and reestablish some things. Ezekiel 36, we're going to just look in verse 25. Now this is a prophecy about Israel, but it also applies to the church. Because if you read carefully in the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. He's not the seed of Abraham that the Bible talks about is not his natural seed, his natural physical descendants, it's his spiritual descendants. And Galatians establishes and Romans establishes that those who are of faith are the children of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. Those who are, it said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's in, that's in Genesis 15 and then it's talked about in Romans chapter 4. And therefore, all of us who have come to salvation through faith in Christ, we are the seed of Abraham that all his blessings and promises apply to us. So this prophecy applies to the church. It may also apply to an historical Israel, but it applies to the church. And when we read it, you'll see clearly that that's so. Verse 25. In that, well, let's go to verse 24. I will take you from among the nations and gather you out from all countries and bring you to my own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. Water almost always represents the word. In Ephesians 5, it says, the washing of the water of the word. Sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols 
And look at this. This is God talking. And I will give you a new heart, not a new mind, not a new body. That's coming. But I will give you a new heart. Not talking about the muscle in your chest that moves the blood around. It's talking about your spirit, man. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone. Stone represents a hardness. A stone is something that's dead. It's not alive. It doesn't have emotions. It doesn't get, if you kick a stone, it doesn't get hurt or offended. If you don't speak to a stone in your, in your, in your, you know, in your driveway, it doesn't get offended. If you drive over it, it doesn't scream. It's dead. And it's hard. So this represents that old harder nature that we had that was dead to God and was hard. It was past feeling. Oh, it had the feelings of a normal human being, but not feelings towards God. It didn't care about God, except what God could do for us. So we got in trouble. We cared about God. But we never cared about God for who God was. That's why it didn't bother us that we offended Him all the time. Why it didn't bother us? We took his name and used his name for all kinds of purposes other than worshiping him. That's why it didn't bother us that we disobeyed him. Because our heart was hard. See, we try to, you'll hear me share it with people that come forward to answer the altar call, and I'll say, look, what we try to do is change ourselves by changing our outward actions. So I'm going to, you know, it's called New Year's resolutions. I'm going to be a better person this year, so I'm going to have better control of what I say, I'm going to better control what I do, and it lasts maybe a week. Maybe really two if you're really strong. But there's no way you're going to make it for the January. Because the power to consistently do it isn't in you. And it's, you've heard me use this example before. It's like taking, we have a beautiful crabapple tree outside of our bedroom window. It's beautiful right now. It won't be beautiful in a couple of weeks, but right now it's beautiful. It needs to come down, but right now it's got beautiful purple leaves on it, and eventually it'll produce these little things called crab apples. But suppose Anita said, you know, I'm tired of that. I want a pear tree. I've got an idea, John. I've gone to the market, and I've bought a couple of dozen pears Let's go out tomorrow morning and let's glue them on the tree and everybody that comes by will think what a nice pear tree we have. And so we'll go out and, you know, we've got just sticking the, you know, we, we can take, we, not just, you know, Elmer's glue, we can take some real epoxy and stick that on the lee, on the branches of that tree. And you know what? You can drive by the next day and boy, that tree has pears on it. It must be a pear tree. Now, of course, if you understand the bark and things like that, you'll know that's not true. But if you're like I am, you just look at what the fruit is and say, oh, that's what it must be. So you drive by and say, you know, they've got a nice pear tree in that yard. And as long as those pears, the glue holds, it looks like a pear tree because you judge a tree by its fruit. The problem is the glue's not going to hold forever. And eventually the weight of those pears and the wind and the rain will break down the glue and it will no longer be able to hold the pears on and they'll fall off. Why? Because they didn't come out of the tree. They were stuck on from the outside. But at first blush, it looks like, hey, what a beautiful pear tree. But after some wear, 
and some pressure and the wind blowing. What's holding that fruit on will break down and it will give out. And guess what's going to come out? Crab apples. And the wind won't blow those off quite so easily until they're ripe. Why? Because the crab apples came out of the nature of the tree. So when we try to change ourselves by changing our behavior, now behaving good is fine, we should behave well, but when we try to change who we are by changing our behavior, there's no difference in that than gluing, gluing pears on our crab apple tree. So what God did is He went to the root of the problem, He went to your nature. And He changed your nature. In order to do that, he had to first of all take the old nature out. Because you can't have two natures. Now, there's some people tell you, you know, that you've got two natures. You've got a sinful nature and you've got a, you know, got a godly nature. That's not what the Bible teaches. We'll tell you, what, there, there are two forces working in you. But there are not two natures working in you. God took out the old nature, that heart of stone, and God put in a new heart that was sensitive and tender to Him, first of all. Because if you're sensitive and tender to Him, you'll then be sensitive and tender to others. Because you can't be sensitive and tender to others if you're not sensitive and tender to Him. You can pretend you are, and you can fool yourself you are, but under enough pressure, you'll act towards others like you're acting towards Him. Well, let's go on and see what he says here. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. Excuse me. Verse I will put a new spirit in you, verse 26. Now verse 27. This is an addition. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Why will you keep my judgments and do them? Because my nature will now be in you. So you will now start acting according to your new nature, which is my nature. But what I want you to see here is he's putting two things in you. He took your old nature out and he's putting in you a brand new spirit. That's your spirit. Amen. And that spirit is born of God. Now go with me to John chapter 1. We're just going to follow where the Holy Spirit takes us tonight. Is that okay? Well, it is anyway. <laughs> oh, I'm seeing stuff go off all over me. Oh, right. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay. Verse 6 says, uh, well, uh, we keep backing up and we'll be in this forever. Um, verse 6 says, And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. And he came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That light was the true light, talking about Jesus, who gives light 
to every man coming into the world. Now, the term light here means two things. It first of all means truth, because light represents truth, because it's what allows you to see what's really there. But it also represents life. Bringing something to light also means to bring it to life. So here it's talking about both meanings of that. He gives light or truth and life to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But verse 12 is where we're headed. But as many as received him, how many of you have received him? To as many as have received him, to them, that's us, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now look at this. Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. What he's referring to is the birth that I'm talking about here is not the birth that came through your parents. That was a birth that came through the will of your flesh. Whether your parents willed to have you or not, they willed to do what it took to have you or not. And if you don't understand that, talk to Pastor Michael after the service and explain it to you. But that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about, he says, not the birth that's of your body, but a different birth. Who were born not of the blood nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but who were born of God. Now, I've been teaching you little words are so important. This word in Greek is the Greek word ek, E-K in English. And that word literally means out of. See, of is a, can be a possessive pronoun. This is the pen of John. That means it belongs to me, but it didn't come out of me. It just belongs to me. But this preposition, ek, in Greek, means out of. We have four children. One of them lives here and actually works here and is, attends here. This, that is my, there's hers too, my Son. In that case, that indicates not that he belongs to me like my pen does, but that he came out of us. Amen. You following me? Yes. That's what the word of means here. And we read over those little words and they can mean so much. It can change the whole meaning around. Who were born not of the flesh nor the will of man, but born out of God. So you were, when you came to Christ, when you received the light, you were born out of God. Ties into John chapter 3, which we're not going to go to, where Jesus is trying to explain the same thing to Nicodemus. And you've heard me teach this before. And Jesus said, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must, you must, you must be born again. That word again, you've heard me teach this before, has two meanings. One of the meanings is a second time. 
and that clearly applies there. But the other meaning of that, which helps you understand what the second time is, means from above. So Jesus is saying in order to be enter the kingdom of God, you must be born a second time, and that second birth must be from above. You're following me? So that is a birth of the spirit man in here that Ezekiel is prophesying about. So when you came to Christ, what literally happened is the spirit of God came inside of you and took out that old man, it's called sometime, that old nature, that old heart, took him out. And God put a new nature in you and that nature was birthed out of his nature. That's why you're called his child. That's not figurative language. It is literally true. It's not literally true in the natural material realm. It's true in the spirit part of you. Which is why your hair didn't change color. It may have changed some by now, but it didn't change color when you were born again. Your, Your body didn't change. The change took place on the inside. God changed the crabapple tree into a pear tree by putting a pear tree's nature in that old tree. He put his nature in you. That's why Jesus had to give you his righteousness. He didn't just clean you up. He didn't just forgive your sins. He had to forgive your sins so he could put his nature in you. So he could give his righteousness. And he had to give you his righteousness so he could put his nature in you. And he had to put his nature in you so you could be born out of him and literally be his child. That was his goal. His goal was to make you into his literal child. But he had to go through those other steps so that he could legally do that with you. See, he didn't adopt you. He birthed you. Jesus is called the firstborn of many brethren. You are born again. Now, I know there's some verses where Paul talks about we've been adopted in, but he's using that in a very loose sense. You are not figuratively a child of God. You're not symbolically a child of God. You are literally. In fact, it is more real that you are literally his child than it is you are the child of your natural parents. Because what they gave you is going to change. What he gave you will never be taken away and change. Now, it's important to understand that. Because now we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. I didn't used to like this chapter. I liked chapters 1 through 4, but chapter 5 made me uncomfortable because it talked about things that I didn't want to look at. I, I, I kind of like the first verse. Stand ver- fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. That sounds good. Right down through verse 6. But we're going to go down now to verse 16. Well, let's go up to verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called the liberty. 
Oh, praise God, we're free. Free at last, free at last, we've been set. And we have. That's what chapter 1 through chapter 5, verse 12 says. For you, brethren, have been called into liberty. Only don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, the fact that you've been set free is not an excuse to let your flesh go free. Now you know why I didn't like it. But I do now. I love it. Do not use your liberty as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, be aware lest you be consumed by one another. Now here's the key. It's not make yourself work hard to do that. Because we've already talked about that's not God's way of working. Because it doesn't work. Verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Let me let you in a secret. The harder you try to control the lust of your flesh, the more you lust. The more you try not to do something, the more you want to do it. And we'll talk about that later on, because Romans chapter 7, the first, most of Romans chapter 7, is all about that process that Paul went through. The harder you try not to do something, the more you're going to want to do it. That's how the law worked. The bondage of the law was the more you tried to obey it, the harder it was to obey it. So we've not been put back under the law because we've been set free. On the other hand, we can't just ignore our flesh and say, yeah, I'm free now. Hey, baby, let's do what we want to do because I've been redeemed. But you were redeemed into something. Not just out of something, you were redeemed into something that's far better than letting your flesh run loose. But the problem is we go about it the wrong way. We haven't re renewed our mind to what God's Word says. So here's his, here's his instructions. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They'll starve to death. I've been rereading probably for the fifth or sixth time, I, I think I mentioned this to you before, uh, Charles Finney's biography, autobiography. Charles Finney was a, a, a lawyer who got saved. That's happened to a number of us, a few of us. Hi, right, Richard? <laughs> and, 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 but God baptized him mightily in the Holy Spirit. And this was in around the 1820s. And he began a revival known as the Second Great Awakening that spread all through upstate New York, eventually into New England and down the East Coast, and really sh shook this nation. And he would go into a town and, and just start preaching. And he might start in a schoolhouse, and he didn't give an altar call for the first week or two. He'd just preach until people came to him and said, what do I have to do to be saved? And, and as he was preaching, eventually by the time he'd leave the town, the bars were closed up. Not because he told people not to go in there, they lost their customers. Because he would leave when the whole town was saved. That's a revival. That's an awakening. It's, it's not the will of God that any perish and fall short of the kingdom of God. And so, so, uh, so what this is talking about, see, so there was not a, he didn't say you can't go drink, he just 
led people to the Lord and they had no desire to anymore. And the, and the point is here. What's, in the, what's in, in the Spirit is so much more satisfying, so much more fulfilling, so much... See, we, we, we lust after the flesh and give way to the flesh because we're trying to get something from our flesh that God's provided for us in our spirit. We're trying to get peace. We've had here off and on a, a wonderful uh, program. I, w- I don't want to call it a diet program because it's more than a diet program. It's a program to help change your lifestyle called prison. It's a Christian program. And they get at the root of why we overeat and eat the wrong things. Because you're trying to meet some need inside with food instead of what God's provided for us to meet the needs. That's why people get hooked on drugs. They're trying to meet some need that's inside of them with something they can never meet the need. See, that's how the devil sets it up. He wants you hooked on something that can't ever satisfy you. A lust can't ever satisfy you. You just want more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And those of you who have been hooked... When cigarettes or alcohol or drugs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it takes the power of God to deliver you. The other thing is, there's a basic principle, which I do teach when I teach Renewing the Mind. The more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. Good or bad. So the more you think about what you're doing wrong, guess what? The bigger it gets. You know why? Because you're meditating on it. And the more you're meditating on it, you're building faith in it and confidence in it. So the more you try hard not to do something wrong the bigger it gets in your mind because the more you've thought about it, the more you think about how guilty you are. You get into this syndrome, you know, where you're, just, you're overeating so your clothes are tight and your stomach's starting to hang out here. You know, it's fine when you're covered with a dress or, or a suit, but you're getting dressed in the morning and you've got to notice that the belt doesn't go in the same number of notches it used to. And you look in the mirror and, you know, it's hanging out and you oh, do you look ugly. And then you get guilty, you get mad at yourself. So now you've got to go eat something to feel better. <laughs> now think about that. Th- that's a cycle we get into. And the devil doesn't have to work on you anymore. You do it to yourself. You get disgusted with yourself for doing that same thing again. So you've got to go comfort yourself for feeling disgusted, compensate somehow. So you go do fill some other lust that lowers your resistance. And it's just a cycle over and over and over and over and over again. And here's your answer. Here's the answer. He doesn't say overcome it. He says walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. See, if you don't fulfill its desire, the desire will go away. Years ago, I learned a secret about mosquito bites. They itch like mad when you first get bit. But I learned a secret. If I don't scratch it, and I endure that itching for just a few moments, it'll go away. But if I go... What I don't realize I'm doing is I'm spreading that mosquito's saliva under my skin. And now it's going to itch more and for a longer period of time. And that's what the lust of the flesh is like. If you don't scratch it, if you don't pay attention to it, oh, it'll scream and yell at you for a while. See, if you've been paying a lot of attention to it for a long time, it's learned that it can control you. So you've got to teach it 
that it can't. See, what we're going to learn is you're in, we, we saw that, remember? We saw that when we went through Genesis 3 and we saw the three parts of you and that Satan came in to, to get it out of order and what he got out of order in the woman wasn't her mind, he got their flesh in dominion. And when you were born again, God reversed that order. So now you have the life of God and the power of God to take back that dominion of the other two parts of you. He didn't change your body. Your body wasn't suddenly renewed and that's going to happen when Jesus comes back and bring you get your new body. That's the groanings and sufferings that's in Romans chapter 8. We may look in there. It's Paul saying, I just, you know, you understand, this is, the Bible says this is the first fruits of our salvation. This is just a taste of our salvation. Because when we receive the fullness of it, we don't have to deal with the lust of the flesh anymore. Because we got a new body. The only avenue sin has at you is through your body, through your flesh. That's the only avenue he has at you, is to tempt your body, your flesh, to want to do something that it shouldn't do. And so the way out is to learn to walk in the Spirit. So what that does is that gets our eyes off of our flesh and what we're doing wrong and begins to get our focus in here and on our spirit man and who we are on the inside. And the more you begin to build up an awareness of who you really are on the inside, the more strength you have to overcome that temptation. Because when that temptation comes up and you're experiencing the life of God inside of you, that temptation is not much to compare to the love of God and the life of God and the power of God inside of you. So you just kind of look and say, I don't care so much about you anymore. Go find somebody else to bother. If we walk in the Spirit... You will not. That's God's promise to you. That, you said, well, I tried that. But it's God's promise. promise. Did you try to sin? Did you fail the first time? I mean, that lust you're dealing with the first time? I literally learned a lesson. I did this once. When I was in college, I never smoked until I got into college. I remember somebody handed me a cigarette. And I took a puff of it. This is literally true. I took a puff of it and almost died. They said, well, try it again. So I took a second puff, and it wasn't half so bad. I got scared. And I put it out, and I've never touched one since then. So it's easy for me to resist cigarettes because I never got hooked on them. But for some of you who may have spoke 20 and 30 years, to take that last one and put it out unless the power of God just comes on you and delivers you, that thing's used to having control of you. Yes. And what happens is the more you focus on that, you're, you're, you're not focusing on the life of God that's been given to you to overcome that. The power to overcome your flesh is inside of you. It's not in your mind. It's in your spirit, man. And so we have to renew our minds to who we are on the inside so that you, when you stand up to those things, in fact, you don't even have to stand up to them. You just start doing what he says. And as you do what he says, what happens is those things will slowly but surely, maybe even quickly, lose their attractiveness to you. See, what God's telling us to do, he's not saying quit all those things. What he's saying is walk in the Spirit. See, we run around 
thinking that, you know, oh, I got, I got, to, I got to put, I got to get rid of this hat. Ah, I got, got that one taken care of. Oh, I got another one over here. I got to take care of this one over here. I got, oh, I got this one over here. Oh, no, that's come back up again. I got to come back over here. And you get going back and forth between these two things, back and forth with these. And all the while, God's trying to lead you. And who is leading you? The devil and your flesh. Because you're running around putting out things that your flesh is rising up. And God says, don't pay attention to them. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about those lusts. Instead, learn to walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill them. You know why? Because you take the fuel away. One of the things they train firefighters in is understanding what it takes in order for a fire to burn. It takes heat, heat, it takes oxygen, and it takes fuel. Maybe something else, but those are the three things I remember. If you take one of those away, the fire will go out. That's how you put a fire out. You remove the fuel. And when you walk in this, learn to walk, and it's a process. It's not something you're going to walk out of here tonight and just all, and walking in this, we're going to begin to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit. Because it's not flakiness. It's not flakiness. Remember, that's why I went back and established with you in the beginning tonight of what, what, that he has already put his spirit in you and given you a new one that has his nature in you. So we have no reason why we can't walk in the spirit because the spirit's in us. A new spirit that's ours and his spirit. See, it'd be enough, I would think, just to give us a new one. But see, he's not taking any chances. He's put a new one in you, so there's something to work with, but he's put literally his own spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. There's not one version Jesus had, and then a second-class version that we, the, uh, the pastors get, a third-class version that laymen get. No, there's one Holy Spirit. We studied last year in Ephesians 4. There's one Spirit, and he's in you. Tonight. And he's in you to guide you, to fill you up, strengthen you, satisfy you. Anything you need. Why do we need the lust of our flesh? And so Paul is saying, learn to walk in communion with your, the Holy Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Verse 17, and then we'll just end with this. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These things are contrary to one another. You ever experienced that? You get up at night, you're hungry, you want to get a glass of milk or something, you open the refrigerator door and there's a piece of pie in there. The other day, I can't remember which one it was, I don't remember the details now, but, but I had resolved I was having no desserts, nothing sweet. I had more opportunity come to me at my weakest moments. I mean, under my nose. People saying, and your mind starts clicking and say, well, they'll be offended if you don't. I won't tell you what I did. 
<laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are con- There's a war going on inside of you between your flesh that wants to do what it wants to do and your spirit that wants to do what God wants to do. That's the very same thing in the garden that we saw that Satan went to upset. And he succeeded, but when Jesus came back, he came back to set that back in order to whoever would come to him. And because you've come to him, that means he's already set it back in order. Say, well, how come it's not easy? Because you've lived your whole life in this flesh that's experienced that how to work you. And you've got a mind that spent all these years cooperating with your flesh, figuring out how to talk, do what your flesh wants to do. And they've, the two of them have never had any opposition until you were born again. Yes. Now there's this small little voice down inside of you saying, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. But until you develop that and a sensitivity to that and develop your spirit and learn how to walk in the spirit and, and not in your flesh that little voice inside of you doesn't have much of a chance to be heard because your flesh is screaming at you so loud and your mind is working so hard to get your flesh's wheel accomplished. And that's where many of us are. But the hope tonight, as God says, if we'll just learn to walk in the Spirit, then the flesh will begin to lose its power over you. It's a process. God understands it's a process, but it has to begin somewhere. And that's what we're going to look into. Let's pray.